Okay. Okay. We're on we, the record. We are on the record. We are on the air live. The story is now beginning or continuing, I should say, because we're on our last part of chapter 37. We're going to get through it today. We're going to get through it today. Part, this is uh, uh, section six. Hmm. All right. So we're on page 425. The, the topic of this chapter is how to um, materialize God's vision for humanity. God's vision for humanity is for, to hit, is for him to be comfortable dwelling amongst us, right? Whenever somebody's present but not invited, they're very socially awkward, right? God doesn't want that. <laughs> he wants to be very comfortable. He wants to be invited. And he tells us exactly what makes his com him comfortable, tells us what brings his presence to this world. And what brings his presence to this world most is mitzvahs. <clears throat> and the, as we said last week, the most efficient way to bring him down into this world is specifically through the mitzvah of charity, of tzedakah. Because when you give tzedakah, you're not just elevating your hands. You're not just elevating the coins or the check or the bills. You're also elevating your entire self that you put in to actually produce that money. Your entire occupation that you invested in making that money. As well as your sustenance in which you could have purchased with that money, potentially. Now it all becomes elevated. So tzedakah is quite efficient in elevating the world. And that's why our sages say that tzedakah hastens the ultimate redemption, the messianic era, because it's the most efficient mitzvah in bringing God to this world. Now we turn to, sex, to, to page one, 425. And we read something that our sages say that is quite puzzling. We said tzedakah is equal to all the mitzvahs because it's the most efficient. Our sages also say that Torah study is equal to all the mitzvahs. So which one is it? Is it tzedakah or is it Torah study? Which one is the priority? Which one is actually going to be the most efficient? Hmm. Let's take a look on 425 just to read it over here. Um, 425, the first bold paragraph. And while our sages of blessed memory said that the study of Torah is equal to them all, that's what the Mishnah says, that Mishnah might sound familiar because it's recited in the morning prayers to all the other mitzvahs put together. So Torah studies equal to all the other mitzvahs. This poses no contradiction to everything that we've said above because we're talking about different paradigms. From the perspective of the soul, in terms of refining the soul, in terms of becoming more aware of our souls, in terms of our personal development and growth, Torah study is the most, is the most superior of mitzvahs. That's gonna have the greatest impact on us. That's what's going to refine us. And there are several reasons. Um, reason number one 
It's the most spiritual of mitzvahs. Most mitzvahs are behavioral. Torah study is verbal as well as mental, right? He calls this the inner garments. If, you, if we remember from chapter four, our, we have the, in, the, in addition to the soul itself, which is the, our passion, our perspective, we also have the garments of the soul. It's behavior, it's thought, speech, and action. Action is an outer garment. Speech and thought, what we think about, are more internal garments. They're more personal garments. So let's take a look over here, second paragraph on 425, because the sages taught about Torah study to point, uh, uh, because the sages taught this about Torah study, uh, point to a particular virtue that Torah study is carried out with thought and speech, which are the inner garments of the energizing animal soul. So it's more spiritual. So on a soul level, in terms of the impact on our soul, or at least on our soul's garments, Torah study is superior, but it goes further than that. When we study Torah, it doesn't just impact what we, it's not just about what we say and what we think about, the thoughts that we have, but it's also about our intellect, right? Our perspective on life, the way we think, right? What's the difference between what you think of and what you think about? One well, is- one you can, you can, one you control and one you don't really control. Right, Things right. Can pop into your head, but you can choose to focus on them, focus on them, or discard right. them. Exactly, exactly. So if I say, "Don't think of the pink elephant in the room," oh. too late. Oh, right. Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I already brought it up. Right. It's already awkward. You already thought of the pink elephant in the room. If I say, "Don't think about the pink elephant in the room," you say, "Okay, I won't think about it." Right. So Torah is not just something we think about. The more Torah we study, the more it refines our intellect and actually shapes what we think of. It actually shapes our intellectual perspective, which is very deep. The mind is so deep. It's such a deep part of us. You know how deep the mind is? The mind is such a deep part of us that th think about it this way. Imagine you did something um, to somebody's disapproval, right? And they, they express their feelings of disapproval and they say, and they offend your behavior. They offend what you did. They make fun of what you did. It's offensive, but we get over it because at the end of the day, it's something I did. It's not who I am, right? What if somebody hurt not my behavior, my garments, right? My thoughts, speech, reaction, something I do. What if they hurt my feelings? Right? What if somebody, uh, it, what if somebody, um, what's the opposite of validating somebody's feelings? If somebody, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Contradicts. Discounts. Discounts our feelings, right? 
Ideally, we want people to validate our feelings, but what if somebody were to discount my feelings aggressively? That's hurtful, right? That's a lot more hurtful than were they to discount my behavior. It's a lot deeper. But I'll get over it. I'll forgive them eventually because right now it hurts and I don't always feel that way, so it's okay, right? But what if somebody discounts my perspective on life? my worldview, my intellectual capability. That's a lot more hurtful. That's a lot more painful because the intellect is so deep, right? That's why we have to be careful what we study, <laughs> what we learn, what we watch, because the life shapes the way we see it. And Torah study has such, the reason why I bring this is because just to illustrate how deep the mind is, the mind is so impactful. The entire CBT philosophy, cognitive behavioral therapy, is based on the understanding that we are so powerful over ourselves because of our mind, which is incredible, right? If I were to tell you good news, but you interpreted it as bad news, right? Let's say there was miscommunication. So I told you something good happened but there was miscommunication and what you heard was that something bad would happen. happened. How would you feel? Mm. Right? It wouldn't feel so good, right? Because what you heard was bad news. But imagine you come back and say, Josh, can you repeat that for a second? Maybe I misheard and I repeat it. And now you, you understood that it was actually good news. How would you feel? Bad that you interpreted wrong. Right. Okay, good. But <laughs> we might feel bad about that. But how would I feel in the moment about the news? Good. Good, right? So what made me feel good? Not so much the news, but more my interpretation of the news. Right? Which is basically my intellectual perspective. Our intellectual perspective is so impactful in affecting our emotions, affecting our spirit, affecting everything because our intellect is such a deep part of us. Now, granted, it's not the deepest part of us. It really isn't, right? The deepest part of you actually is you. As Dr. Seuss says, nobody can be youer than you except you. That's the deepest part. Um, and Hasidic, Hasidic teachings and, this, and Tanya as well discusses that to a great degree, but at, at least, but that doesn't discount the fact that the intellect is so deep. And when we study Torah, we're refining our intellect. We're positively forming our intellect. We're shaping our intellect. We're shaping our perspective. We're shaping our thought process. We're seeing things from a more divine paradigm. So Torah study has such a deep effect on us. And that's why the, the Mishnah taught that Torah study is equal to all of the mitzvahs. If you, put, if you were to put the mitzvahs on a scale, put 613 mitzvahs on one side, sorry, 612 mitzvahs. I'm bad at math. In yeshiva, they teach us math in multiples of 18. Um, if you, <laughs> that one's getting old, I guess, huh? <laughs> so it <laughs> doesn't get old for me though. It gets old for everyone else. <laughs> 
<laughs> so if you were to put 612 mitzvahs on a scale and then put Torah, a 613th mitzvah on the other side of the scale, Torah would outweigh all of them, or at least equalize all of them. So here, here's just an interesting, uh, interesting side note here. So if, if, if you think of, uh, in terms of multiples of 18, then 612 commandments would have been perfect. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> but 613 is one too many because it's no longer a multiple of 18. That's funny. <laughs> I guess that's I was how... thinking in multiples of 18 subconsciously. <laughs> well, maybe how... it's indicating that, that there is one that is more important than all the rest. Ooh, I like that. Ooh, that, that number one. That, that, There's one that could that, outweigh that, them that all. And, and that's, that's what the mitzvah of Torah is, because when it comes to refining the soul, that is the most impactful mitzvah. That is the most efficient mitzvah. Another reason why Torah is so efficient, as discussed on 426, on the bottom of 426, he gives the example of a human being. What is the most sophisticated part of a person? Their head, right? Um, the mitzvahs, as we discussed in discussing Kabbalah, there's 248 positive mitzvahs, 248 do's, and Kabbalah refers to those as God's limbs, right? So which mitzvah would be God's brain? That would be the Torah. That would be Torah study. So if mitzvahs are limbs, if mitzvahs are body parts, if they were to correspond to body parts, then God's brain would be Torah. So then which mitzvah is tzedakah? Which mitzvah is tzedakah? Or which body part is tzedakah? Which, which body part is tzedakah? So, well, exactly. Well, well, that leads right. to the question, why is, why, in other words, why do we give so much credence to tzedakah? In terms of physically impacting ourselves, and we'll talk about this soon, and impacting the world, tzedakah is the most efficient, right? It's more efficient to help the guy who's hungry than to study Torah while he's hungry. <laughs> but in, in terms of our own personal refinement, Torah is going to be deeper, have a deeper effect than all of the other mitzvahs put together. And just to illustrate this point, we're going to jump ahead for a moment and we'll jump back. Let's jump ahead to 429. The middle bold paragraph. Um, right where it says section eight, so right on top of there, the bold paragraph. And this Disclosure of the blessed infinite light through Torah. So a revelation of divine light through Torah study is why Rav Sheshis said, Rav Sheshis was a, a sage of the Talmud. And he famously said, rejoice, O my soul, for you, for you I have recited scripture, for you I have studied Mishnah, as explained at length elsewhere. When did Rav Sheshis, this Talmudic sage, rejoice? Not when he did a mitzvah, but when he studied Torah, right? 
I'm going to read the next uh, non-bold paragraph. Torah lifts the soul higher, whereas mitzvahs elevate the body more. That is why Rav Shesha said, Rejoice, O my soul, specifically in reference to Torah study. In terms of our own souls, in terms of personal development, in terms of, uh, Torah has the biggest impact. And there's one more impact that we're going to discuss in a second. The question. I have a question. So, yeah. so is there any benefit of studying Torah in a group? And giving and sharing and making it, elevating it, or 100%. studying alone? Because I can't see a mitzvah in studying alone because you're just looking after your own soul. But where if you right. study with people and you can share and you can give and you can take and you can share your experiences, your wisdom. It, okay, great question. Excellent question. Studying in a group is definitely preferable. Studying in a group is definitely more impactful. Um, it's going to have a much more direct effect in, in revealing the divine presence, um, especially so given all the reasons that you're So it's more of a mitzvah to study with people and share your information. Exactly, 100%. But having said that, studying alone is still very valuable. It's still valuable. At least to the soul, it's valuable. Yeah, but to your own soul, not to everybody your else's. Own soul. Studying right. alone to, to be able to share is more valuable. I don't know. I can't, uh, 100%. Yeah. 100%. And, and, you know, the only, you know, the, as they say, the only Judaism you have is the Judaism you can share. <laughs> so here's another question. So yeah. when sometimes when you're, to daven or or study Torah if you're hungry, so that you should eat so you can focus better on the studying. So if you're you're about to eat something for that purpose, but then a poor person comes by who can't afford to eat, should you donate your meal to the poor person or eat it for studying Torah? You share. That's a good question. Okay, I would say share. Hmm. Um, it kind of depends. Also, if if it's your life at expense, you know, if you're both the poor people, let's say. So then, you know, the Talmud discusses that two guys in a desert and there's only enough water for one of them. So one of them is going to die anyways, you got to pick. But in this situation, you're not going to die. You're just going to be hungry. Um, you know, definitely share. And as the chapter unfolds, we're going to go back a little bit and you'll see why. The answer to your question will become more, more clear. But, but, but the short answer is to share. Well, if there's not enough to share. Well, then, <laughs> then you don't have enough to share. <laughs> you have that question, yeah, then that's going to be an issue whether or not you're studying Torah or, or, or break. I mean, you know why I'm asking a question because the Torah trumps the other mitzvot. So, so, so Torah, there, there are situations where Torah does not trump other mitzvot. Hmm. But, to appreciate that, ju just just to see for a second, there's one more um, advantage, if you will, to Torah. If you look on 429 and 430, we don't have to do it inside, but when you read Torah, the common phrase in Hebrew is koreba Torah, reading the Torah. And the, uh, the author says the reason why we call it reading the Torah, because the word Korah can also mean call, calling with the Torah. 
if you translate it Koreb Torah, reading the Torah, if you translate it literally, very literally, it's calling with Torah. Who are you calling? God. Bal Korah, same Korah? Same idea, yeah. When we read the Torah and when we study the Torah, the Torah is God's wisdom, it's God's will. And we're essentially giving God a phone call saying, hey, I want to have a relationship with you. That's why the Talmud says that when a person studies Torah, God literally sits across with you, uh, from you and he's there with you because it literally brings God into our lives or it brings his will, brings his wisdom into our lives. In some ways, in some aspects, Torah study can be more effective than prayer in calling God and calling out to God. There's times where we need to call out to God in despair out of difficult times and, and, and often or sometimes just opening a Torah book and studying, we're literally calling God to us. Rabbi Shneur Zalman, the author of the Tanya, was also, you know, he had a lot of talents. He was a very talented individual. I mean, you could see from his book how talented he was. He was talented in understanding Torah. He was talented in understanding the human psyche. And as we see through the Tanya, he was talented in blending the two together. One of his other talents was he was actually a Torah reader. He was fluent, an expert in Hebrew grammar, which is one of the things that authorized him to write a rendition of the Siddur, the Chabad Siddur that we use based on many different Kabbalistic texts and other Siddurs from the Arizal. And because of that, he was also a Torah reader. And the story goes that he was out of town on one particular Shabbos. He wasn't able to read that week. He wasn't there. Somebody took his place. And it was the reading that took place several weeks before Rosh Hashanah where we read about the curses that take place, right? It's a very dramatic reading. In fact, the, the, the tradition is that we don't call on anybody up for that reading. Because what's going to happen if I'm the Gabbai and I call you up for that Aliyah? The one time I give you an Aliyah is that Aliyah, right? How is that going to look? What's that going to look like? <laughs> right? It might be taken the wrong way. So the tradition is we don't even call anybody up for that Aliyah. Um, the person reading the Torah, he takes that aliyah, he makes the blessings without being formally called up. That's how dramatic it is. The reader reads, and Rabbi Schneer Zalman's son, who was 12 years old, is just like a little traumatized here. <laughs> and he passes out, he faints. I don't know if he faints or if he cried. I don't remember the story. I think he fainted. They revived him, said, well, what's wrong? Now, I'll, I'll tell you, when I hear the curses being read, okay, whatever, you know. <laughs> but he was obviously a lot more sensitive than the average Joe. Um, and they said to him, why did you faint? What happened? He said, I just read about these curses. That's very intense. They say, but you hear this every year. He says, yeah, but usually my father reads it. Says, yeah, but what's the difference? So he said, when my father reads the Torah, when the Altar Rebbe, when the author reads the, of the Tanya, when he would read the Torah, he was a holy man, 
He says, when he would read the Torah, I wouldn't hear curses. I would hear blessings. This is in Hayom Yom. This story is brought in Hayom Yom, definitely. It, it's brought in Hayom Yom. Um, and you will remember this in September. <laughs> but the lesson here is the way the Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tanya, would study Torah and would read Torah, he was literally calling God. So what may seem negative, he's just calling God and it was really actually positive. The, 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 and the point is, the bottom line is, when we read the Torah, when we study Torah, we're calling God into our lives. Torah is so deep. Now, for all these different reasons, Torah is a very deep relationship with God. And that's why Torah trumps all the other mitzvahs theoretically. But nevertheless, and here's the point. Let's go back to 427 here. 427, where it says section seven, right under it, the bottom bold paragraph. Despite how lofty Torah study is, it's just exactly like Sharon is saying, it's lofty only for your soul. In order to have an impact on the world, it's not sufficient just to study Torah. We have to do something with that Torah. There's a famous Talmudic teaching. He who says, I only have Torah study and nothing else, does not even have Torah study, right? Because he's missing the point, missing the point. The point is actually, um, the point is action. Torah study within itself is valuable. If you're going to study and not do anything, it's still you're still doing a mitzvah, but it's not the point. It's missing the point, right? Take a look on the bottom of 427, the last bold paragraph. It's actually the last paragraph. Nevertheless, our sages said, the most important thing is not study, but practical observance. That's from Pirkei Avos. And scripture stresses regarding the mitzvahs, do them today, as it says in Deuteronomy. Meaning that today in this lifetime, in the physical world of action, the specific emphasis is on practical mitzvahs. The point of why we're here is to do. We're here to do. That's the bottom line. We're here to do mitzvahs. We need to set time every single day to study Torah, and it's so important. But that Torah study is supposed to lead to something practical. Because doing is the bottom line. I'll tell you a great story. Rabbi, I forgot his first name. I think his name is Avram Zev, Greenglass. Was a teacher in yeshiva. If it's the if it's the Greenglass I'm thinking of, he was a he was a rabbi in in Montreal, and he was known actually as a as a kabbalist. Very interesting character. A lot of stories about him. Um, he was a teacher in yeshiva, and he encounters one of his old students from many years ago, and he doesn't look like the good bo uh, yeshiva bacher Jewish boy chick that he used to. <laughs> he kind of parted ways with Jewish observance and with everything he was taught as a, as a child. And Rabbi Greenglass is talking with him and says, let's, you know, why don't you... Uh, why don't we talk about getting more back involved in, in Jewish observances? 
let's put on tefillin, let's give charity, let's study Torah, let's do more things. Rabbi, you've heard a similar story from me, but this is a little bit different. He says, Rabbi, I'm Jewish in my heart. Right? Rabbi Greenglass says to him, let me ask you a question. Imagine, God forbid, a person was paralyzed. Their arms are not functional. They're non-ambulatory. Their, works are, their, their legs aren't working. They have no hip muscles, no stomach muscles, just a vegetable. But their heart, whew, pumping that blood. <laughs> they have a great heart. Would you say, hey, I have a great heart. I don't know who cares if I don't have a good body. The point in that heart is to pump blood to the rest of the body. And the student got the point, realized the point in feeling good about Judaism, a good Yiddish heart, is to pump to the rest of the body, to actually lead to action. Passion has to lead to action. Because if passion doesn't lead to action, we're missing the point. And it's the same with Torah study. Intellectual stimulation also has to lead to action. Because if not, we are somewhat missing the point. And that's why, John, I think this might answer your question. Let's take a look on 428 on the top here. And further proof, a further proof for the priority, priority, I'm, I'm tongue twisted today, for the priority of action is the law that Torah study must be stopped to carry out a practical mitzvah in an instant when nobody else can do it. So if you're studying Torah, you have your Talmud out or your Torah portion or whatever it is, and you're studying Torah, and somebody needs you to help them Right, that poor, poor or that poor person needs the, the the food for charity. If nobody else can help them, you got to stop. You got to help them, because even though your soul is so elevated right now because you're studying Torah, that's great for your soul. But this guy's hungry, right? That's great for your soul, but the world needs your mitzvah, and that's why we'll stop Torah study to put on film, and we're going to stop Torah study in order to light the Shabbos candle. We wouldn't say, I can't do Shabbos candles, I'm studying Torah. Because the bottom line is the physical impact, the material impact that we're going to have on this world. Now, if somebody can else can't, yeah, please. If, um, so I don't like that if nobody else can help them, because basically, if you see a need and you expect somebody else to help, then you're actually not doing a mitzvah. And you should be doing it. I mean, you <laughs> don't want to distract yourself. But you do want to be the person to be giving the. Well, the let, let's look at it. Look at it this way. If I'm, let's say, I'm studying Torah, and this person needs to be helped in whatever okay. way, right? And somebody's right there, ready to do it. Oh, so, but if somebody offers or is there? You know? Yeah, I mean, you can't assume that somebody's there. You have to. You have to know. But you can't expect somebody else to do it if somebody else is there and you're studying Torah. You, no, no. It, you have an obligation. It has to get done. Yeah. If it's going to be done anyways, it might as well be done by somebody else who's not studying Torah. 
It makes sense. Very good point. Very good point. Definitely. But take a look on, on let's take a look at this second paragraph here on 428. Just to, to emphasize the reason here, the reason for this emphasis on practical mitzvahs is because the conclusion of the matter is observance of his commandments, for this is the whole purpose of man. In terms of our spiritual growth, Torah study is incredible, but in terms of our purpose, deed is the bottom line. And the reason why you were created and why your soul came down into this world is specifically to make a home for God in the lowest of realms to transform darkness to light so that the glory of God will fill all the material earth specifically and the glory of God will be revealed and all flesh will see together that God is speaking as mentioned above. The whole purpose is to bring God into our lives, into this world. And the most efficient way to do that, to bring him into the material world, not just the spiritual world, is through action. It's Torah study though, that's gonna refine our souls. And if there is no action to do, Study Torah. Now, the truth is you need to study Torah because you have to know what action to do, <laughs> right? And you also need the inspiration and the motivation to do the action as well. So what if you had a righteous person or a doctor, say a doctor, and he is healing people all day long and saving lives, working in the emergency room, and he said, I don't need to study Torah anymore. I'm, I'm out there doing, doing the work, saving people. It's sort of, I guess, he's not a complete person though, I guess, at that point. It, he's gonna be missing something, but look at it this way. He's saving lives, right? At some point he's coming home at the end of the day. He could flip on the TV or he could open up and study some Torah. So at the end of the day, he's, he's not absolved. If he was literally 24 seven, and I can't study Torah, it's not an option. Um, but at the end of the day, part of bringing God into the world is also bringing him into our own souls as well. It's just the, the, the bottom line though is the action, the action that the Torah study is gonna lead to. And that's why there's that debate in the Torah, in the Talmud, which is greater, Torah study or deed. And the Talmud says Torah study is greater because it leads to deed. In order for the action to truly be meaningful and in order for the action to actually, um, for me to be motivated to do the action and to do it right. So that's where the Torah study comes in. Just to, to a, a great story I read today to emphasize the power of deed, the power of action. Rabbi Rubin, I forget his first name, but Rabbi Rubin is a shliach somewhere. And Rabbi Rubin gets a phone call from a lady. She says, Rabbi, my son is an ex-yeshiva bacher. He's left and he now got sucked into a cult. He's deeply invested in this cult. And besides it not being uh, emotionally or mentally healthy it's not spiritually healthy he's not doing he's not living as a Jew so Rabbi Rubin says what do you want from me <laughs> what can I do what do I know about cults she says well he lives in the area I wrote to the Lubavitcher Rebbe and the Lubavitcher Rebbe told me to reach out to you so that's what I'm doing so now Rabbi Rubin has a standing order from the Rebbe save this kid 
<laughs> okay, challenge accepted. He goes to, he, he finds out exactly where the boy is located. Not a boy anymore, probably like, I don't know the exact age of the, of the person, but I'm guessing it was from when I read the story. It sounded like he's an older teenager, maybe, maybe even older than that. He drives to this compound out in the forest where there's like this hippie-ish cult where they live. And he's asking around and he finds a boy. And he's talking. And he's talking to him about Torah, about Judaism's perspective. He's trying to, and he realizes he's getting nowhere. Nowhere. And the way he words it, he says, Rabbi Reuben says, at some point I realized it would be easier for me to split the Red Sea than to have an effective conversation with him. Rabbi Reuben decides to get back in the car. As he's getting back in the car, this little boy chick, Jewish boy chick, who's been abducted by this cult, says jokingly, kind of mutters under his breath, huh, you should talk to, the, to our leader. He's also Jewish. Rabbi Rubin says, huh? Oh, nothing, nothing. Okay, great. Let me talk to him. You can't just walk it. They revered their leader his cult leader. I don't even know what the name of the cult was, but I could find out. They had strong reverence and respect for their cult leader and you can't just go up to him. He said, watch me. <laughs> and he goes into the chamber where the cult leader is. And what he didn't realize, took him some time, about two hours to realize, the cult leader was taking some sort of vow of silence and was not responding. He's having a two-hour monologue, a one-way conversation, trying to tell him he's Jewish. This cult leader is Jewish. And he's trying to get to him. It's not working. At some point, he's got to give up. And as he gives up, he says, wait a minute. He realized where his mistake was. That this whole time, I'm trying to talk to them about Torah and the Torah's perspective, which is so important. I'm not discounting Torah's perspective at all. But what did we just read in Tanya over here? Go back to page bottom of 427, please. All the way on the bottom. Nevertheless, our sages said, the most important thing is not study, but practical observance. Let me get this guy to do an observance. Rabbi Reuben pulls out a pair of tefillin and goes up to this cult leader, monk dude, whatever he was, says, we're gonna put on tefillin. He doesn't even ask him because he's not talking. It's a monologue, right? You wanna play monologue? We'll do monologue. You're putting on tefillin. <laughs> he rolls up his sleeve and he starts to wrap the tefillin on him. As he puts on the headpiece of the tefillin, he sees the cult leader just like, I don't even know how to describe this, but it obviously hit a deep chord. Chord. And he begins to tear. The cult leader begins to tear. And he begins to actually weep, to cry. Tears of teshuvah, tears of repentance. 
to the point that, um, and perhaps all the memories of his childhood came up, but it's even more than that. It's more than just a psychological, uh, um, psychological tears. It's the soul being re reawakened through deed. This cult leader is a Chabad Hassan this day. And to this day, yeah. he's going out and he's doing the same outreach, helping other Jews get back to their heritage, get back to their Judaism. Is this it, is the power of deed. Is it not that, um, not tears of repentance, but more tears of the fact that he's been accepted by someone so wonderful like the rabbi? Because maybe before he had like, I don't know, you don't know him so well. Maybe he had a bad experience. He had a bad they, experience. They could be one in the same. Sometimes that, that's re repentance, is realizing that well, I'm accepted. Well, repentance is more realizing that you've done wrong. And, it, right. and, and so maybe he, he did what he did because he didn't know he was part of and belonged and was still regarded as a beautiful Jewish soul. Right, right, exactly, exactly. So, that, so there's nothing the wrong with what he did to say repent what he did, but it was at that time it was right, but now he's back to his roots and his roots will always be there because if he's, a he's leading a cult that is contrary to uh, to what he should be doing. I wouldn't say it's right, but- He's but, doing but, but action the, and bringing people together. And maybe there but, was some good in there because but, but, uh, every but, Jewish person has got good in there. A hundred percent, a hundred percent, and and at this moment it was it was revealed. Yeah. It was at this moment it was revealed, and this guy came back to back to himself and ended up inspiring other people as well. And now he's found it, his path again. But, he's yeah. found his path again, exactly. And, and you know, sometimes we can try to teach, we can try to preach, but sometimes it's action. There was once a an individual who wrote a letter to the Lubavitcher Rebbe explaining that there was somebody else, he had a friend. You know, when, when somebody says, I'm asking for a friend, we all know what that means, right? Uh, <laughs> he's asking for a friend who is um, going through a hard time in his Judaism. And, said, and the Rebbe tells him, he's having a faith crisis. The Rebbe tells him, do a mitzvah. What do you mean do a mitzvah? He doesn't even understand anything he needs to know he needs to learn jewish philosophy maybe put his head on straight no 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 when a person is hungry you don't explain the menu you feed them <laughs> afterwards you can explain what the menu is right but first they need to be fed the soul is hungry you could explain the menu the philosophy of judaism afterwards but the soul needs to be fed that's the mitzvah I, can I can I go back to that last story, the the one yeah. where, so so basically that rabbi stayed for a long period of time, he persevered, he and then he did an action, and that was the mitzvah. The mitzvah was the rabbi's doing an action and right. putting on the tefillin to bring him back to the feeling of being where he was when he was younger. Right. So. So it's kind of the mitzvah is more on the rabbi side than, than, than the action of just putting on the tefillin. Because right. if he didn't stay there two hours while he was busy being silent, it wouldn't have happened. Interesting, interesting. Maybe. He, he gained Maybe a little perspective, bit of both. right? He, yeah. gained some, he gained some perspective as to what he had to do. Because right. 
he helped them, the, the leader was lost and the tefillin yeah. helped him find himself. Yeah, it oriented him. It oriented him. All the philosophy and all of the, the, the perspective wasn't working for him. He had to get deeper than the mind. He had to get to the soul. Exactly. And, uh, but definitely the mitzvahs on both ends. The mitzvahs on both ends. Um, one thing that this shows us is the, the, the powerful, yeah, thank you, the, the, power, the power of a mitzvah, the impact that a mitzvah might have. We don't always see the impact. It's far reach. It's more far reaching than we give it credit for. Yeah, I'll tell you another story. This uh, this story actually happens to me. We'll, we'll conclude with this. I may have told you this story, and if I did, you could stop me. <laughs> um, about five, six years ago, maybe seven years ago. Yep, I heard that one. <laughs> <laughs> I was in Yeshiva in New York and we decided to go to New Jersey for Purim to help out a local Chabad house, local to New Jersey, I guess, not local to us, to help out a Chabad house in New Jersey and to help them with Jewish outreach on Purim. And we went to the hospital, we went to the Jewish, it wasn't a Jewish hospital, it was a regular hospital, community hospital in New Jersey, in Tenafly, New Jersey. And we have a list of patients and we're going in visiting the infirm, the sick and the elderly, bringing the joy of Purim to them and bringing them the opportunity to do Purim observances and other Jewish observances. Now, the hospital doesn't give us a list of Jewish patients because that's not their, that's not their job. <laughs> Um, which is totally understandable. They give us a list of patients. And with the limited time we have, we have to assess before we go in. Obviously, if we go in and they're not Jewish, we're respectful. But before we go in, if they're Goldberg, okay, let's go in. If they're Smith, you know, let's try to look for the Goldberg and we'll get back to Smith when, if there's time. So we walk into this individual's room. We knock, we walk in, he's talking to us. This gentleman is probably... He's in his 70s. He's in his hospital bed. He's recovering from something. And we're talking. And we're telling him, we said, it's Purim, the holiday of Purim. Happy Purim. He says, oh, happy Purim. And he, he says, we said, would you want to hear the Megillah? What's that? The book of Esther. Oh, the book of Esther. And he starts discussing all these biblical characters. Isaiah, the, the prophecies of Ezekiel. The prophecies of Jeremiah. And my friend and I, who are there, I'm thinking, uh-oh, is this guy actually Jewish? He's very knowledgeable about prophets. <laughs> something, something was a little bit fishy. Um, I, I meet a lot of Christians that are very knowledgeable about the prophets. I don't read a lot of Jews, unfortunately, that are that knowledgeable about prophets, at least not on the... So we said, sir, are you, um, you're Jewish, right? He says, well, sort of. Well, what do you mean? He says, I'm, my parents are Jewish. Okay, you're Jewish. He says, not really. At 13 years old, when I was in elementary school, all of my friends were Baptists. And I've been baptized. I'm no longer Jewish. I'm a Baptist. I'm a Christian. And I believe in Jesus. I said, buddy, 
You may think you believe in Jesus, <laughs> but you're Jewish. It's your soul. It's who you are. You can't lose your Judaism. It's, it's not possible. You could forget about it. That happens, but you can't lose it. Um, you can act like a Baptist, but you can't be a Baptist because you're already Jewish. It just doesn't work. And we get into conversation. We get into debate, same uh, dialogue. And I said, I forgot his name. I said, would you like to put on film? And he says, sure. What is that? <laughs> we put on film. I pull out the film and he had a vague, I think he had a vague memory of, you know, what it was. Maybe his dad did it or something. I don't know. We put on the tefillin. And I said, we're going to say the Shema. The Shema prayer. Dedicating our belief to one God. And only one God. And we recite the Shema. And this guy is a little bit infirm, but he decided to stand up and he wraps the tefillin on. And he says the Shema prayer. The guy has tears in his eyes. He's literally crying. It was an incredible moment for us to experience the Jewish soul. Because in yeshiva, we learn about the Jewish soul. <laughs> and this was a beautiful opportunity to experience it. And he starts crying. And he looks at me. He says, I'm a Jew. I'm one of you guys. And he says, if God forbid Hitler were to be here today, he would take me down like he would take you down because we're just, we're the same, I'm a Jew. The philosophy, the explanations weren't working when we tried, but a mitzvah hit a very deep core. I wish, I'm using my phone here, but I wish, uh, let me see if I could, okay. I'm going to see one second if I could find the actual photo. I have, we have a photo with him. So you, that way you don't think I'm making up the story. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I don't remember um, hearing that story before. No, no it's a new one? Heard. It's a brand new one. Don't repeat it. <laughs> okay, hold on one second. Can you see it? Yep. Right there. That's me. That's him. Wow. Wow. It was his first time putting on the tefillin. This was 2015, March 5th. It was pouring. That's pajamas. You were very young there. I was going to oh, yeah. say. As opposed to now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've aged. Wow. <laughs> You're all smudgy. <laughs> well, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Amazing. 